Um, this is the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, and uh, it is unofficially known in churches around America as Associate Pastor Sunday. Um, <laughs> one time a year when associate pastors get to preach because the senior pastor is typically on vacation. Uh, so I appreciate your letting me be here with y'all today. Um, it's a real joy. Uh, if you're wondering what the connection is um, and why I'm here, that is because your senior pastor, Stephen Cooper, or Coop as I know him, uh, we were classmates together at Westminster Seminary, and we also served together as interns at New Life Presbyterian Church up in Escondido, which is where I serve. Uh, Stephen has moved on, and I kind of stuck around there. But it's a joy to be here. There's also another connection between our congregation and yours, um, and that is that New Life Presbyterian up in Escondido was really started by Dick Kaufman, who also started this church as well. And so our, we may not know each other personally, but our congregations have connections. And so it's just great to be here uh, with you this morning. So today uh, we're going to be looking at just four verses from the Old Testament from one of the minor prophets, Zephaniah. Uh, and as, as we look at those four verses this morning, we're actually going to be participating in a, an ancient New Year's tradition, although you probably didn't know that. I didn't either until I dove into this passage. So this is a tradition that goes back more than 2,500 years, and because the passage that we're going to read is a song. We're going to read four of the verses. There's a, it's part of a bigger song, and that particular song was one that was sung as part of the Jewish New Year's celebration in ancient Israel. Uh, that celebration in the Old Testament is referred to as the Feast of Trumpets, and we know it today as Rosh Hashanah. So it's no longer part of that celebration, but it was for the ancient Israelites. And so uh, as we read these verses together, uh, we're, we'll participate in that ancient tradition. So our text this morning is from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Um, and they'll be on the screen for you, or if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn there as well. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is God's word this morning. And it's an extraordinary word, isn't it? I mean, that, that language is amazing. There's one place in the book of Isaiah where we read that God rejoices over his people, but to my knowledge, this is the only place in all of Scripture where we read that God sings over his people. That God sings over his people. Can you imagine that? This morning as you're sitting here, can you imagine what that would be like? Perhaps, uh, if, as you've read through Scripture, you think about the opening chapter or chapters in Genesis and we read that God spoke and he spoke all that is into being. He created everything we know by speaking. And so we can maybe 
think about God's voice when he speaks and how powerful and how strong his voice is. What would it be like to hear him sing? And what would it be like to hear him singing over you? That's what our passage talks about this morning. God gave his people this little song to call them back to himself. He, call, he was calling them back because they had lost their way. And if we were to read through the first chap, two chapters of Zephaniah, it would detail the many ways that his people had walked away from him. But there's a nice summary in, in verse 2 of chapter 3. Let me read it for you. This here, God is using, he's describing his people as she. Um, and this is what we read. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Did you hear that? She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. That's where the people of Israel were living. They were no longer living the God-centered life that they were called to live. They were instead living a very self-centered kind of life. And it's very easy for me and probably for all of us this morning just to, hearing this to kind of, you know, sort of, you know, do this to the Israelites. Oh, tisk tisk, you know, you, you, how could you do that sort of thing, right? We can read this and, and wonder how it is that they walked away from God like that. But we do the same thing all the time, don't we? I think we do it daily. Year, years ago, my family and I were camping and we were near a, a, a small, quiet stream, and my son, Stephen, was just a little guy, and uh, he, his words were, were just starting to come. You could kind of tell what he was going to say, and you could kind of tell what he was going to sing, and he was playing in the stream, and he was having a blast throwing stones into the water, and, uh, and then my wife and I, Kathy and I, could pick up on the fact that he was singing, and, and when we listened, we realized he was singing, Jesus Loves Me. Um, the words, like I said, weren't fully formed. It was more like, yes, Dida, love me, right? And, and he's singing, Jesus loves me. But pretty soon, yes, Jesus loves me became, yes, Jesus, me, me. And then it became, yes, me, 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 me. And then it just became, me, 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 me. The whole song was just, me, 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 right? And we looked at each other and we go, wow, isn't that what we do every day, right? We might start out. We might spend time in the Word, we might sign in prayer, we might start out with the best motivations to follow God. We might have Jesus loves me in our head, but somewhere, every day, Jesus loves me morphs into me, 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 doesn't it? Um, that's a song we sing day in and day out. And so this morning, friends, we need a better song. We need a better song than me, 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 me. Uh, we really do. We need a song that reminds us who we are and reminds us whose we are. And that's exactly what God has given us in Zephaniah 3 this morning. Um, listen, to what, listen to what John Calvin wrote about this very passage some 500 years ago. He said this. He said, it's not without reason that God labors so much to persuade us of his love. Because we are prone by nature to unbelief and easily drawn away from his word prone by nature to unbelief and easily drawn away from his word. You know, what John Calvin is saying is that we so easily shift from being God-centered to being self-centered. 
right? Our Jesus loves me morphs into the song called Me, Me, Me. But God, in this passage, is persuading you and he's persuading me of two, two important truths this morning. Number one, that he loves us and he always will. God loves us and he always will. And secondly, he's persuading us that because he loves us, we don't need to fear anything. We don't need to fear anything. And that, I think, is a better song that we need to hear as we head into a new year, isn't it? So let's take a look at those two truths and then consider what kind of response God is calling us to this morning. The first truth, that God loves us and he always will. God's love. That's the resounding message of verse 17. That we read that God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now imagine, imagine a father or a mother singing a lullaby to calm their crying child. That's a pretty familiar scene. We can imagine that. But now picture parents who are so, so proud of their children that they rejoice over them with singing. What's the last time you heard a song like that? Kids, have you ever had your parents sing praises over you? I mean, maybe you as a child sing the praises of your parents when they decided to do something really great for you, like go to Disneyland or something, right? But, but parents singing over their children, that doesn't happen very often, does it? And yet we all, we all long, don't we, to hear our parents tell us that they love us and that they're proud of us. And it really doesn't matter how old you are, does it? Right? I mean, I'm, I'm a grown-up, and I still feel good when I hear that. Right? When my mom or dad says, I love you or I'm proud of you, I still love to hear that. And here, through the prophet Zephaniah, God gave the Israelites a promise that, that in song he would reassure them of his love, that he would sing over them. It's a beautiful picture. So the million-dollar question is this, though. Why... Why does God promise to love them with such joy? Because as we observed just from that verse, three, chapter 3, verse 2, they weren't a very lovable people. They were not exactly the kind of children who make their parents proud. Right? They weren't listening to God. They weren't accepting his correction. They didn't trust him. In fact, they were running away from him. Right? It says that they didn't draw near, which implies that they were running away from him. And yet this morning, guess what? That's a lot like you and me. And it's why our hearts continue to sing, me, me, me. So how can it be, how can it be that God would delight in them? How can it be, friends, that God would delight in us? And the answer was in verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. How does he do it? How does he take them away? Does he just ignore all that they have done? No, he doesn't. God is a good God. He's a perfect God. And he's a perfect judge. He can't just overlook the rebellion any more than a parent could just overlook a child who's, who has run away. But instead, in love, as we've been celebrating at Christmas, he placed the punishment for our sin for my sin, for your sin, for our selfishness, on Jesus. 
It's on the cross. Jesus absorbed God's judgment for my sin and for your sin. And, and the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear in Galatians 3, verse 13, where we read this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So on the cross, Jesus paid for our sin. But you know, when you think about it, that really, that's true and it's wonderful and, it's, and we got, need to grab hold of that. But if that's all that Jesus did for us, it really just would put us at the starting line, wouldn't it? Our sin debt is gone, but there's nothing there that's praiseworthy. There's nothing that, for God to sing about. So why does God rejoice over his people? What, what is so praiseworthy about them? And again, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Again, in, in, in Paul's writing, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, Paul says that God made Jesus our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And I want to focus in on that word righteousness. Paul's saying that Jesus was our righteousness. Scripture says, uses big words. It says, you know, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But I want to break that down because I know all the kids are here. So this, this is how I think about it. Um, I like to think about it in real simple terms. It, what Jesus did for us is something that, that uh, one pastor has called the great exchange. The great exchange. And let me explain it this way. Imagine, if you would, that, that, that God is going to give us a report card for how we have obeyed, how we've loved him. Have we loved him with all of our heart? Have we loved other people as much as we love ourselves? And God is going to give us a grade for that. And imagine that Jesus is our friend and our classmate, okay? And so, so we get our report card. I know what my report card would be. The grade would be an F, probably F minus um, for my performance. That would be my report card, right? But then, but then Jesus gets his report card. Jesus, who always did the right thing, love God first, love neighbor as self. And his report card would be an A+. No, his, he did better than that. It would be like A+++++++, right? That would be the report card that Jesus gets. So you, here I am with my F-, and Jesus has his A++++, right? Now imagine you get the report card, and Jesus comes over. He goes, hey, how'd you do? You kind of put your head down a little bit, not so good. Really, what'd you get? F minus. He goes, wow, that's, that's hard. He goes, I bet you're going to be in a lot of trouble for that. You're like, yeah, my dad's not going to like it. What, and you say to Jesus, what did you get? He goes, well, I did really well. What'd you get? I got an A plus, plus, plus. You go, wow, your dad's going to be really happy with you, aren't, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And then Jesus says, you know what? Because I love you, let's, let's, ex let's trade report cards. Okay, let's exchange report cards. Here, you get my report card that says A++++. You take it to your father. You show it to him. And he's going to be so happy with you. And I'll take your F-. And I'll show it to our father. And I'll live with the consequences. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's exchanged records. He's taken away our sin debt. And he's given us his performance, his A++++. And so, friends, if you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus as the one who's paid for your sins, as the one who's lived that obedient life in your place, the one who, can, who alone can make you and me fit for heaven, then the Lord rejoices over you right now, right now in this place. 
That's good news. Let me ask you, do you find that hard to believe? I know I do. Um, and I suspect you might do, you might as well. There's a, there's a song right now, a contemporary Christian song by Lauren Daigle that is, is very popular. The title is You Say. And I think she captures our tendency to disbelief in the opening verses of her song. This is, this is the opening, just the opening. She, she wrote this. She said, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. We know this good news, right? But we, we, we lapse and we begin to think that it's all about us. It's about our performance. And so we hear a voice that says, I'm not enough. I don't measure up. Those are the voices of self-righteousness, of trying to make ourselves fit for heaven. And we can't do it. And what do we do? How do we quell those voices? How do we silence the voices? Well, here in Zephaniah 3, God, as Calvin said, labors. God labors to remind us who we are, friends. He reminds us that nothing, nothing, not even our sin, can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, God the Father delights in you, and he always will. And he always will. So when you doubt God's love, you need to sing the better song of Zephaniah 3. We need to hear it. Well, that's the first thing we see here. The secondly, because God loves us, we don't need to fear anything. No fear. And it's a, a theme that's repeated over and over just in these four verses. Um, we read that the Lord has cleared away your enemies, the king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Over and over again, you don't need to fear anything. If all our enemies have been cleared away, if we shall never again fear evil, then we don't need to fear anything, do we? And yet we still do, right? Uh, the list of fears is endless. We fear being alone, being left out, being lost, being made fun of. We fear not getting good grades, not getting into the right university, not getting the right job. We fear not having enough money to live the life that we're hoping to live, or more importantly, not having enough money to pay the rent or buy groceries get the health care we need. We fear what life will be like as we face the onset of illness, disability, disease. We fear getting old. We fear what our, about what our legacy will be. And we fear our ultimate and final enemy, death. And so maybe as you're here and you face a new year, you might be full of worry. You might be full of anxiety. Then you need to hear the truth of this passage God works hard to assure us that we need not fear anything because he is with us. And in Christ, he is clearly for us. Now, for the Israelites who received this word from Zephaniah, you know, God's presence was focused on the temple. And shortly after Zephaniah 
uh, pronounced this on Israel. It wasn't too long after that. They were taken away to Babylon. They were in captivity for 70 years. But then they came back, and they rebuilt the temple. And for them, this promise of God's presence took on that kind of meaning. Like, wow, we're rebuilding the temple. God is with us. And then that promise, the promise became a greater reality when Jesus took on human flesh. We were singing about it this morning, and he became Emmanuel, God with us. And the Gospels give us this amazing, amazing, wonderful picture of what it looks like to have God with us and for us, right? Think about, think about the time when Jesus was with the disciples, and they're on the stormy sea, and they're all afraid, and he calms the sea with a word. Think about Jesus healing disease, leprosy, giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf, helping those who can't walk, walk again, reaching to the outcast and the marginalized, forgiving sin, casting out demons, right, setting people free. This is what it looks like to have God with us and for us. And ultimately in Christ we see him overcoming sin and death for us. This is what it looks like to have God with us and for us. But we're not left with just a picture and that's part of the good news, because Christ is here. Christ is with us and within us by means of the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us all alone. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and he is ever, ever for us. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that we won't run up against evil, right? That's not the promise, the promise here doesn't mean you're not going to bump up against evil, you're not going to run into it. You surely will. We all will. We live in a world that is still fallen, a world that is still wanting to run away from God, and the effects of that are everywhere present, and we will bump into them. But this promise does mean that evil will no longer control us. It will no longer have mastery over us. I think Christian author Eugene Peterson uh, has a wonderful little quote that helps me get my head around this. And this is the quote. He says, All the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Right? All the water in the ocean cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Meaning all the evil in this world cannot sink you because God, through the Holy Spirit, is within you. It's not... The evil of this world will not get inside. It will not separate us. And God, in his way, is going to use what evil we bump into, what the evil we experience somehow, for our ultimate good. So friends, this morning when circumstances are so, just so overwhelming, and it feels like God has forsaken us, then sing this song. And let your heavenly Father quiet you with his love. Let him quiet you with his love. So lastly, how, how do we respond to this amazing news? Excuse me. How do we respond to this amazing news? Well, the, verse 14 really tells us how to respond. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. That's how we respond. What, Kids, what, did your, what do your parents teach you? What have they taught you? What do they teach you? What are you to do when you receive a gift, right? You are to say thank you, right? You say thank you. And some of you maybe already had to write your thank you notes for Christmas. Or maybe that's something you're going to do in this last week of vacation. It's looming over you, right? We write thank you notes. It's, it's appropriate for when we receive a gift, we say thank you. Well, praise, praise is our way of saying thank you. 
In fact, when we come to know the salvation of Jesus, all of life is one big thank you. All of life is one big thank you. So it's not just singing in church, but it's we live a life of praise. We live it out. As a church, you guys are already doing this. I, I know you've got wonderful outreach. The, the count that's coming up to give a voice to the homeless is one way we live out our thank you. We live out our praise. And you have other outreach efforts as well. We live out our praise. But individually, we do the same thing. We live out our praise. And I think at its most basic We live at our praise when we learn to say and look at other people and say, you, not me. You, not me. Because Jesus said, you, not me for us. So we live it out. We live out a life of praise. We live out a a, a big thank you. I love love the way Sally Lloyd-Jones captures this. When she, she has a retelling of the Great Commission in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, our family has loved the Jesus Storybook Bible. I continue to love it. And I love the way she captures this, this idea as she retells the Great Commission. And there Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, go everywhere and tell everyone the happy news. Tell them I love them so much that I died for them. It's the truth that overcomes the terrible lie, God loves his children. Yes, he really does. Friends, when we live a life that is about telling people the good news, that God loves his little children, that he really does, that's that's our way of praising, of giving praise, of saying thanks. We tell them this and we show them this in how we love them and treat them. So this morning, we, we, we're reminded, and we need to be reminded, that the song of our life is not me, 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 right? Instead, we can remember the better song of Zephaniah 3. And then as we do that, we can recalibrate our lives. And out of gratitude, we can find ourselves singing and living praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, so much for the good news from the Old Testament from this prophet Zephaniah. Father, the good news that you have taken away the judgments against us. You've taken away our sin. And Lord, the good news that you rejoice over us with singing because you love us and you delight in us because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray that, that for all of us here, that as we, as we think about this good news, as we meditate on it, as we rejoice on it, that it would not just be something that's in our head, but it works its way into our hearts. And then it begins to animate how we live out the balance of this day and the days ahead. Lord, may we be a people who tell everybody the good news, the happy news, that, G- that God loves his children, he really does. Lord, give us the words to say, help us to know that the right thing to do at the time so that you would be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.